in Psalm 78, verse 41. I just want to talk about the thought that uh, with God all things are possible. Psalm 78, verse 41. This particular chapter is uh, particularly talking about the um, all the various things that the Lord did for the children of Israel when they're coming up out of uh, Egypt and uh, just how that time and time again they they really turned away or didn't appreciate the things that he'd done. And time and time again, they forgot the miracles that had happened. They came out, of course, through the Red Sea. They'd seen the ten plagues that afflicted, uh, afflicted Egypt, and uh, they'd seen the you know mighty miracles happening there. And again, they'd been delivered through the Red Sea. But as they came into the wilderness and things got a bit difficult, they started to forget a lot of the incredible things that they'd already been through. And uh, again, just time and time again, they sort of limited God, and when they found they didn't have food or water in the wilderness, immediately they panicked, and uh, some of them wanted to go back into Egypt, and again, they didn't recognize that God was going to look after all of those things. Uh, it says that he um, forgave their iniquity again and again, and uh, many times he turned his anger away, it says. But um, down in verse 40, or read from verse 40, it says, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. And as I say, we could read uh, through a lot of the uh, the remembrances there, the various stories that happened. But he said it happened time and again. And um makes this point in verse 41. It says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. And every time they came across a new situation, rather than looking back at the things that had already happened and, happened and recognizing they were miraculous, so whatever was ahead of them, even though it was different, was still something that God could handle. But um, it seems to be a sort of condition of mankind that uh, we constantly uh, forget and uh, we constantly um, find it difficult to understand that God is able to do anything. We sometimes, uh, for the individual, may sort of find it easy to believe God can do certain things, but we have real troubles believing God can do other things. Some people sort of... Uh, you know, quite happy to uh, trust that the Lord can um, maybe uh, do something along the lines of uh, looking after maybe their children or something, or maybe that uh, the Lord can look after their healing needs, but they have real troubles when it comes to believing that God can provide for them as far as finances or all these sorts of things, and other people maybe in the other direction. And uh, human beings are a real uh, packet of um, uh, conflicting uh, thoughts and uh, uh, we we don't make a lot of sense sometimes on some of the things that we can um, handle and the other things that we can't. Um, if we go over to the New Testament, of Matthew chapter 16, and verse 9, there's a story here that I'm not going to go right through. Well, maybe it's only short, maybe I will. Um, down in verse... Um, 6, pick it up, Matthew 16, verse 6. Uh, this is when uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were, um, they'd gone across the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, I think it was, in a, in a little boat, in a ship. Um, in verse 5 it says, When his disciples would come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So they had uh, not brought any provisions, and they were probably in an area where they weren't able to get anything readily. And they were a bit concerned about that. And in the middle of that concern, it says, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. 
so they didn't quite understand what he was getting at, and they thought he's talking about leaven here, um, and obviously he's having a go at us because we haven't brought any bread. And it says, Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves, because you have brought no bread? So do you not yet understand, or neither remember, the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it, not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So they were concerned about earthly things. They were thinking about uh, the fact that they didn't bring any provisions. And uh, Jesus was thinking about uh, the danger to them from false teaching from these religious leaders. And he was warning them against these things. And they sort of got all confused there. And they, again, their concern was unnecessary, is what Jesus was saying here, because they had just come from a miracle where the Lord had done this incredible thing where with a few loaves and fishes he had fed thousands of people and they themselves had been distributing those loaves and fishes and had been partaker of that miracle. And here they are seeing this incredible multiplication of bread and um, and then they're worried that Jesus is upset with them uh, that they're going to go hungry. Um, and of course, you know, they they need not have been worried about any of that. And Jesus certainly wasn't worried about that. And he said, don't you even remember? We've just, we've just seen this incredible miracle. Um, you know, thousands of people have been fed with very, very little. And uh, again, it's very quick. We, we are very quick to forget and maybe again limit the Lord in a certain situation. Maybe they thought, well, uh, you know, we don't have any loaves or fish, so we can't multiply them greatly or something of that nature. And again, um, very easy for people to just to limit uh, the Holy One of Israel. Um, I'm going to turn to Matthew, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 32. It's a bit of a longer story here. Jeremiah 32 of this one. I was just thinking, as I was going through this particular story, um, it's a bit of a um, an encouragement and a prophecy to Jeremiah uh, that the Lord was going to return the captivity of Judah. Uh, at this particular time, he was telling them that... Uh, um, Babylon was going to take over the land of Judah and Nebuchadnezzar was going to come in there and they were going to be taken away captive. But he also promised him uh, that it would be for a time and after 70 years that they would return and uh, the Lord would bring Judah back into his own land. Now this is pretty, you know, we've never, in this country at least, never been through something like this where you have an invading army. If you can imagine maybe the Second World War had gone in a different direction and uh, the Japanese had actually managed to come right down to Australia and New Zealand and they had occupied the place and maybe taken a lot of people away uh, captive or put them into, um, uh, into camps or something of that nature, as did happen in other places. Or they had just taken some of us out of their country and uh, the world changed and they became dominant and they won the war. And you would be sort of really wondering, you know, whether you would ever see your land again, whether you'd ever be back there, what, what was ever going to happen. Um, and in this situation here, it was pretty much that way for the people that are actually involved uh, with it. And um, the Lord actually did something here with Jeremiah to encourage him and to indicate to him that he really would be returning and that he would uh, that the the land would again be in the hand 
of the people of Judah. And uh, as I was going through this particular story, I was just thinking that a lot of, uh, it's almost necessary that God has prophecy in the scriptures, uh, because there's so much of the Bible is all about prophecy. And when you think about it, what the Lord is doing is he's showing that when he says something, he does it. So, as I say, it's almost necessary that there be prophecy, such a thing as prophecy, because the Lord has to say, look, this is what's going to happen, this is what I'm going to do. If you are evil, then there will be a punishment. If you are good, then, you know, you will be blessed. And time and time again, the Lord declares these things ahead of time, and we have had the opportunity with hindsight to look back at what happened, and we can see again and again where he said he would do this, he did this. And that, again, is the, the point, a lot of the point of that prophecy is to to remind us that what God says he will actually do. Um, and, again, that we don't forget and that we have a, an example there in front of us. Um, in verse 1, it says there, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, for then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Uh, for Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, uh, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy, and say, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Um, so he was prophesying something which was not popular. Uh, he was actually been told by the Lord to tell the people of Israel this, and, of course, uh, telling them they were going to lose the battle and that they were going to lose the war and they were going to lose their, their country and city was not a popular thing. But nevertheless, uh, it happened because they had um, they had not uh, followed the Lord's commandments. And eventually all came to a head. Uh, I'm not going to go right through the story, but in verse 6 it says, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came uh, unto me, saying, um, so he's sort of, uh, after Zedekiah said these things about to why you're doing all this, uh, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine un uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is an Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of the inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine, buy it for thyself. And then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So he had received a message of the Lord while he's in the prison, and the Lord says that this particular man is going to come to you in the prison, and he is going to say, I want you to buy my field, because it is yours by right. Uh, the inheritance falls to you first, uh, so you have first, first shot at um, redeeming this land. So he heard this, and maybe he's thinking on it, don't know how long a period it was, but all of a sudden this man, Hananiel, comes down into the prison, comes up to him and says, hey, Jeremiah, and he says, um, uh, there is the, uh, pray, I pray thee, uh, buy this, uh, this field that is Anathoth, and he, he repeats exactly what the Lord has said, word for word, and it must have seen uh, quite an amazing thing for Jeremiah to have that happen. Um, and as he says there, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So the Lord uh, tells us many things, and uh, we see that the Lord is good at his word. Now verse 9 it says, And I brought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, 
and weighed him the money, even seventeen shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence, and I sealed it, and took witnesses, and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. So they'd have sort of two, two copies of the contract, and uh, one would be sealed up and stored away in the archives, and the other one was there as, as your copy you could show to anybody, and anybody that uh, wanted to check up on it, it was there. Um, so one was sealed away, if you like, so it couldn't be altered. Um, it's like we would put something in a bank vault, I suppose. And in verse 12 he says, And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Nebriah, the son of uh, Maasai, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase, before all the Jews that sat on the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, who was his sort of right-hand man, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed, and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again uh, in this land. So <clears throat> the Lord had told him to do this thing, because he was going to demonstrate to him that, uh, you know, you could say, well, look, the the land is about to be overrun, everything's going to be overturned, and uh, we're not even going to be here again. Uh, so what is the point of buying this block of land and having this bit of paper saying that it belongs to you when, in a moment, everything's going to be turned upside down? And uh, uh, those that come in, of course, don't have to recognise the, the agreements that uh, they had made amongst themselves. So anyway, the Lord had told Jeremiah to, to do this thing in front of the people and to also um, to prophesy there that the time would come when again they would have their houses and fields and vineyards in this land. And therefore uh, the purpose of doing this was that he had been promised basically by the Lord that he would be able to uh, inherit that land. It would be his. He had paid for it and uh, all things would be uh, kept for him. So... But afterwards it says, when he had done all this, that he spoke to the Lord. The end of verse 16 says, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And uh, so he started off well by recognizing first just the incredible power of God as the creator of heaven and earth. And he said, look, there is nothing too hard for you. And he went on to say, They show us loving kindness unto thousands, and recompenses the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the, lands of e in the land of Egypt. And he went on to talk about the wonderful things that... Um, the Lord had done, bringing Israel out of Egypt with uh, great uh, wonders and strong arm, etc. Um, and then he went on to talk about how that the people had re rejected everything that they had, uh, uh, that the Lord had asked them to do, and they hadn't walked in his ways. And down in verse 24 he says, Behold the mounts, they are come unto the city to take it. So he's now looking at the, the armies of Babylon. And he's saying, And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it, because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence, and what thou hast spoken is come to pass. Um, 
and behold, thou seest it. So he's saying, but at this moment, you know, the armies are coming in and, and again, they're taking everything. And in verse 25, and he said, and, and thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. And he's finding it a bit hard to understand, maybe a bit hard to grasp. In spite of all those things that he's just listed off, of the incredible things that God has done, he said, but, you know, the armies are coming in, and and here you are telling me to actually buy this piece of land when uh, it's not going to mean anything in just a short while. And uh, in verse 26 it says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So Jeremiah sort of started off on that thought, but he sort of, as he went on, he sort of started to lose a bit with the reality of what was happening. And he was really wondering, you know, what is the point of all this? Is it really going to work out? And uh, so the Lord's reminded him and said, that, Look, is there really anything too hard for me? He said, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it, which is what he promised to do. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on the city and burn, burn it with the houses, upon whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Again, because of the idolatry of Israel and of Judah, and these things were being done. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith, this, saith the Lord. Um, so he went on to explain again, because of all the evil they've done, that that is what has happened. Um, and he goes into some detail on that. Um, but down in verse uh, 36, he then turns around and basically says, in spite of all that I'm doing here, and all, all the upset and the upheaval and everything that you see here, and the destruction, because the whole city of Jerusalem was going to be razed, and the temple destroyed, and this is, you know, this is major stuff uh, that's going to happen. All that they held dear is going to be gone. But then the Lord turns around, verse 36, he says, And now therefore thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, city, whereof you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them, in mine anger, and in my fury, and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Uh, so he's talking now about the time where he will turn it around again, and he will bring Judah back out of their captivity, and he will bring them back into their own land. And he says, And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Uh, for thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And fields shall be brought in this, bought in this land, whereof you, you say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. So men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin 
and in the places around about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, and the cities of the mountains, and the cities of the valley, and the cities of the south, for I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. So he says, just like I have brought all this great evil upon the people as I promised, I have also promised I will bring good upon them. And as, as difficult as it might be for you to understand, Jeremiah, it's going to happen. And just as I spoke the first and has come to pass in front of your eyes, I am speaking the second. And that was why he gave him this opportunity to buy the land as a demonstration that there would be a future and there would be hope, there would be an expectation that they could look forward to. And uh, when you know Nebuchadnezzar came in and literally destroyed the city, and we know the story later, and 70 years later, when they had to go back and rebuild the wall and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, um, there was nothing left You know, when they sort of started to do that again. And it must have been... Uh, they needed this reassurance from the Lord that there was a future for Jerusalem and for the people of Judah. And again, as I say, a lot of prophecy is all about that. It's about the warning, and it comes to pass, and it's also about the blessing uh, that comes to pass. And uh, again, just reiterating that what God says that he will do. Um, there's the story, we won't turn there, um, in Genesis 18, it talks about uh, the Lord coming to Abraham and Sarah. The few angels came and met them and uh, sat down and had a meal with them. Uh, and uh, the Lord prophesied at this time that Sarah was going to have a child, and that was going to be Isaac, the child of promise. And it says that Sarah was actually in the tent uh, at the time, and it says that she secretly laughed when she heard that because she was an old woman and so was Abraham. Uh, but the Lord had promised them that they were going to have a child, and this time he said, okay, it's really going to happen now, this time, about the time of life, the next year you will um, you will have a child. And so Sarah had a bit of a chuckle to herself. Uh, but the Lord actually heard it, and uh, even though it was only within her heart, he still heard it. And she I always thinks it's interesting to think about this, that she was in the tent out of their sight, of these three angels sitting out there with Abraham, and they said to her, wherefore did Sarah laugh? And it must have been a bit of a scary thought. She'd only done it inside her heart. She was hidden away there, and she hears this voice out there, one of the angels saying, why did you laugh, Sarah? And she thought, ooh, that's a bit scary. Um, In verse, sorry, you're not there, but in, um, in this chapter it says, and the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So whether Sarah liked it or not, she was going to have a child. She did like it, fortunately. Um, But the Lord said, again, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's not something to uh, chuckle at or sort of wonder at um, or be in disbelief over. Uh, the Lord says, at the time that I have appointed, it will come to pass. And it did come to pass exactly as he had said. And again, that's most of prophecy. At the time that God has appointed, the thing will come to pass. Um, we'll go to Mark chapter 9, verse 20. The story here of a man 
one of the many people that came to Jesus and had a need. Uh, this particular man had a son who had uh, a pretty terrible problem. And uh, it says that the disciples had prayed with him and nothing had happened. Um, I might actually read from verse 17. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So Jesus was somewhat upset, uh, even with his own disciples, that they did not have faith. And um, this obviously had seemed something to them that was a bit uh, bit hard. And in verse 20 it says, And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long ago is it since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So this man said, If thou canst do anything, and Jesus turned it around and he said, If thou canst believe. It's not a question of whether God can do anything. It's a question of whether we can believe. And it's a question of whether we trust in God and whether we believe that what he's spoken will come to pass. He said, all things, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And uh, most of us, I think, uh, sort of uh, usually have that sort of trouble uh, with things that are pretty big and um, and threatening. Uh, we believe in the things of the Lord. We believe what the Lord has done in our life in the time past. We believe, uh, you know, the things that we read in the scriptures. But sometimes we, in certain situations, we have an amount of unbelief. And we ask the Lord to help us with that. In verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, or command thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. Uh, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. <clears throat> and I think probably the uh, the meaning behind that is not that there are certain things that, uh, that uh, have a need of prayer and fasting, it's more that for you to believe and for the Lord to help your unbelief, you need to really get stuck in sometimes. And uh, if you're having some doubts and all the rest of it, again, um, you know, you've, you've maybe got to push in hard and a bit of prayer and fasting can make the difference if you're really focused on, on what you're looking for. Again, um, you know, when you're looking to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, it's a question of whether you're putting in the effort there or, or, um, or maybe just... Uh, uh, treating it like something that uh, is when I was a kid I used to do maybe once a week sometimes come out to the prayer line and have some prayer uh, but then not do anything during the week you know and again if you want to receive the Holy Spirit well you've got to believe it's going to happen if you don't believe you're having trouble with it uh, it means you've got to press in a bit maybe do something a bit harder and a bit different 
have a bit of fasting along with the prayer. Get yourself into the proper mood, as um, your Beatles cartoon used to say. And there won't be anybody else here who's seen the Beatles cartoons. Anybody else seen the old Beatles cartoons? Yeah? Okay. I won't bring anything to you. <clears throat> they used to say that um, every time they were going to sing a song, I think it was Ringo who always said, oh, we've got to get some props. We've got to get the audience in the proper mood, John used to say. Um, so prayer and fasting is all about getting into the proper mood and the proper attitude. Um... Mark chapter 10, just go over the next chapter, verse 26. Um, Jesus was talking here about uh, those, well, verse 24, the disciples were astonished at his words. Uh, Jesus had said how hard it was that they that have riches, um, how hard it was for them to enter into the kingdom of God. What had happened was he had a young man who was a young rich ruler had come to him and said, Lord, you know, I want eternal life. And he said, well, have you kept the commandments? And he said, yes, he had. And um, Jesus said, well, there's one thing that you lack. And he told him to go his way and sell what he had and give to the poor and come and take up his cross and follow Jesus. In other words, give up his life and basically um, be prepared to suffer for the Lord. And it said this man had gone away sad at that saying because he had great possessions. That, that was the one thing in his life that meant a little bit more to him. It was too important to him uh, compared with eternal life. And it tore him. He wanted eternal life, but he also wanted his possessions and his, his lifestyle. And one, unfortunately, uh, outweighed the other one. So that's when Jesus, in verse 23, looked round about and said to his disciples, How hard, hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And that Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, uh, for with God all things are possible. So not saying it's impossible, but again it's a situation where if you have great you know, treasures in your life, and whether they're physical treasures, riches or money, or whether they're other things that you uh, whether it's family or other things that you you deem more important or is very important to you. Um, it's a question of whether they mean more to you than your relationship with the Lord and entering the kingdom of God. And um, again, the Lord says, well, somebody that has something like that or um, you know, maybe they have a great uh, career or something. Um, and again, there's been some famous people down through the years that some of our folk have come across some interesting stories of uh, celebrities and people who real high-flying type people whose very seconds of their time is sort of uh, worth thousands of dollars and, and they're in great demand and all the rest of it. But there have been a few occasions where some of these people have heard the gospel and uh, from somebody and they have actually put aside the time uh, even with people literally beating on their door to you know, get them to go to the next appointment and all that sort of stuff. Uh, just to hear the gospel and to recognise that that was more important and to get saved. Um, so it's not impossible, 
Um, God is able to do all things, but again, it comes down to somebody's attitude. If they really want to find the truth, uh, the Lord can work in that situation. So, um, uh, we won't turn there, but just again in Mark 14, it talks about uh, Jesus at the in the Garden of Gethsemane. And again, when he's actually praying to the Father that if it's possible... Uh, that the Lord might take away this death from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And uh, Jesus recognized, as he had said, everything is possible. And he said, if, it's, if you can, take away this death from me. They don't have to go through it. But in the end, he said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. It has to be according to God's desire and his plan. And uh, that's really got to be the desire um, for us as well. And I guess if this young uh, rich man here, this young rich ruler, had had that attitude and he said, look, uh, if it's possible, can I keep the riches or can I keep my lifestyle or whatever? Uh, but nevertheless, if that's what has to be done, then that's what has to be done. If he'd had that attitude, um, it, it may be that you know he may have been able to uh, make it even without giving up the riches. But in his case, it was obviously too hard. Um, just finishing John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus just makes this statement here. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And um, we often think, okay, Jesus is the truth, and we understand that he is the way to eternal life. Uh, but that first thought there, I am the way, and we think of the way that was made through the Red Sea, we think of the way that Jesus made through death, uh, we think of the way to the tree of life that was closed off in the Garden of Eden. Now, Jesus is saying that he's the way, and okay, we can understand that he's the way to life and that sort of thing, but if you put it into any situation where you have something which seems too hard, it's good to remember this, I am the way. You say there's no way out of this situation where Jesus is saying that to us, he is going to be the way. He's going to open the door. He's going to make it possible. And um, an interesting, um, on that sort of thought about, you know, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God, uh, maybe we just leave on the thought of the Apostle Paul and talks about him in the book of Acts as being somebody who was, he was a Pharisee and he actually was very anti the church and the things of God and Jesus Christ to begin with. And it actually says that Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he got orders to go and take people captive who were in the church and all this sort of thing. And while he was, of course, on the road to Damascus, it says this great light fell upon him. And um, he, the Lord spoke to him and told him to go into the city, and a man named Ananias would come and talk to him. And the Lord actually went to Ananias as well, and he said, I've got a job for you. I want you to go to this particular place and this particular street, and you will find Saul, and you are to pray with him, and you are to heal him with his blindness, um, and get him baptized, and all the rest of it. And Ananias was a bit shocked at that, and he said, you know, this man is, uh, he's killing people. He's killing us. He's, he's putting us into prison. And Ananias was a little bit, uh, 
concerned about that. It seems I'm, I'm sure that Ananias afterwards must have thought, what a stupid thing to think. You know, here I've got God actually talking to me, and I'm questioning, you know, his judgment. Um, and uh, he must have thought afterwards it was a silly thing to, silly way to react. But anyway, he did what the Lord has said because the Lord said, this man is going to be a uh, a man who's going to take the gospel in front of kings. He's going to show uh, great suffering for my sake. And again, it's you know that sort of prophecy where the Lord is saying, look, this is how it's going to happen. You trust me. You trust what I'm saying. I'm going to make the way that this is going to happen and everything's going to be all right. And, of course, um, Jesus appeared to Paul and he said... Uh, um, Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee, uh, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which thou hast seen, and of those things which thou hast, uh, in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So the Lord was not only shocking this man to make him realize he was alive and he was real, but he was actually saying, I'm going to change your life completely. I'm going to turn you around and you're going to suffer for my name's sake where you've made other people suffer. And he said, you're going to turn many people uh, into the light. You're going to uh, be fighting on my behalf. And again, in a worldly sense, that is the impossible task for somebody like the Apostle Paul, who was a bit of a Darth Vader, to turn around to become the hero of the story. And uh, we see what happened to the Apostle Paul and how that he wrote 14 books of the New Testament and he was responsible for sort of taking the gospel out to the Gentiles uh, right throughout the Roman Empire and changed, it really did change history almost single-handedly, really, in all that he did there. Uh, but of course it was the Lord and the Word of God working uh, behind him and with him that did all these things. So again... You can look at somebody or a situation like the Apostle Paul and say, there's no way, you know, that's that's a hopeless situation. But Jesus Christ is the way, and he made that possible. He turned things around. So, again, when we come across those sort of things in our life, and we find it very um, difficult to believe that the Lord can do anything there, let's not limit the Lord, or remember that he can do all things, and... Um, Remember, remind yourself that Jesus is the way.